Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick Hales is the Redskins Quieter, and Joshua Johnson are here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear. in terms of playing the game. And I'm highly critical because of the way we give games away. We give them away, period. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, looking forward in a couple of days. I'm going to be going to the uh, Mariners opening day game in Seattle. Uh, looking forward to the exciting atmosphere that that's going to be. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. You you are right. Baseball season is just around the corner. Took care of my second fantasy baseball draft last night. Uh, but we're not here to talk about baseball. We're here to talk about football, dynasty football. Uh, we have a great show in store for you tonight, tonight, today. Um, Bill, or excuse me, Robert D. Cobb from Inscriber Magazine is going to be stopping by to talk about his Cleveland Browns and then DFW's Owen Mike Traffic will be here to talk about the Steelers. And uh, very, very shortly, Mr. Ramblin' Dan Hines will be joining us t- to give us a mystery wide receiver that we had known absolutely nothing about in the draft. So we are looking forward to Dan joining us to do that. Uh, of course, today we are covering the AFC North Division. Um, as we also will talk about the Ravens and Bengals. Um, we will not be on next week. Uh, because of baseball season, no, I don't know. Just there's too much too much stuff going on for me next week, and it's a uh, good time. I'll take a little break, but we're gonna have we're gonna hit you hard next week. Uh, excuse me, the week after that, uh, April 14th, we will have a rookie extravaganza show with uh, with Dan, myself, and uh, our content manager Bill Servivo. So I'm looking a lo- looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun um as we uh ramble about some prospects and whatnot so i'm looking forward to that and then we'll be back with our normal scheduled podcast april 15th as we talk about the afc east um doug moore from rasballs will be joining us to talk about the patriots and paul esden from truelovesports.com is going to be on to talk about the new york jets the gangrene so look looking forward to that now nick what the draft hasn't even started or hasn't even begun and Maybe Randy Gregory just heard, <coughs> excuse me, all these rumors about him being too thin, and tried to gain some weight by get, getting the pot munchies. Uh, any thoughts there on him reportedly testing positive for marijuana? Well, you know, if you're right and that he was trying to put on the pounds, uh, and that's why he was using. Uh, I actually live about 20 minutes outside of Spokane, Washington, where it's legal, and I've heard in the dispensaries there they sell it in edible forms. I'm assuming like cookies and whatnot. So could that like, you know, eat a cookie, get high, get hungry, eat another cookie? Like could that be like an infinite loop where you could put on as many pounds as you wanted doing it that way? I'm not sure. I don't know. Will you? 
You got to test positive, I would think, if you eat it, right? Or does it stay in your bloodstream longer if you smoke it? Anyway, maybe I, Nick has found a little bit. I hope, uh, I hope Dwayne Bow and Justin Blackman aren't listening. <laughs> I don't know if Justin Blackman has been involved, but you know, you know, I hope no NFL players are listening. We probably don't think they are, but you never know. Um, yeah, you know, with the the weird instance now with it being legal in some states now, and obviously most of them it's not. I think the situation is going to continue to arise. But I mean, come on, you're about to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. You're going to make millions of dollars. You've made it. You're almost there. I mean, there's no reason Randy Gregory still is probably not going to be picked in the first round. Why screw that up? Um, I will say that. He is from Nebraska, the University of Nebraska. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, they've had some bad decision makers over the years. But anyway, we're not here to pile on them. I'm just just pointing that out. Um, want to tease something that we have coming up next week, kind of in conjunction with our rookie extravaganza show, where we uh, took a, a just a random selection of 12 Raiders here from DFW uh, DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. And uh, we were doing a Top Gun writer's draft. I was not involved in naming it Top Gun because, coincidentally, I have never seen the movie Top Gun. But it's called the Top Gun writer's draft. Uh, It's going to be a mock draft, a four-round mock draft with offensive rookies. And there will be analysis to go along with that. We're we're doing the mock right now. We're mid-second round. Uh, First draft is already done. And I think – I think Nick's going to be proud of my mock drafts when we uh, when we release it. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Got some really good analysis. Uh, we've contained uh, Mr. Ramblin' Dan Hines into three or four sentences. We said two or three. I think he's stretching it to three or four. But, you know, that's that's just Dan. That's just who he is. So, Mike, uh, look forward to that. That's going to be first. We're going to post that round by round in the coming weeks up to the draft. So the first one should be posted on, uh, I believe, Monday, April 13th, and then we will uh, – do our extravaganza show the next day. Look forward to reading that. Um, as far as some other stuff that's going on at the site, uh, me and uh, Bill took an in-depth look at the Oakland Raiders. That pod, or excuse me, that post is up this morning. We also did a, a nice report on uh, Titan Max Williams out of Minnesota. So make sure you go back and check that out. Uh, you know, we've we've really beefed up our staff lately, and uh, we're getting about three articles out per day, and they're just. Quality, quality stuff. I just can't, I can't believe sometimes the, the in-depth knowledge that we get out of these guys. The, the length of the articles, you know, where they might seem like you need a few minutes to read them, they are, they are definitely worth it. Uh, uh, make sure you check out my Raiders article. Pretty, pretty proud of that. Uh, nice uh, pat on the chest for me. She's pat myself on the back. Never ever had a chance to write about my boys so, uh, so intently. So I was, I was happy with that and. I, hard not to be too optimistic, but I, I think I did them well. As far as other stuff here that's going on at DFW, you know, we're, we're breaking down a lot of the top rookies, so make sure you go back and check out all of that. You can just you look look for our rookie profiles, and they like I said, they're they're so in depth. You're not you're not going to be match this around around the interweb. That's that's for sure. Uh, complete team recaps, just like I did with the Raiders. Uh, we also touched on the coaching changes and how it's going to affect the offensive players. Got to check out the film room with with the film cut-ups of the top prospects. It's uh, good, good, good stuff. Um, our dynasty rankings are updated monthly, so uh, they'll be, they'll be get up, get up this week sometime. So make sure you check that out. Obviously a lot has changed with a uh, free agency and whatnot. So make sure you check that out. 
later on this week. Check out the DFW exclusive mock draft database as, uh, you know, we are always have the rankings up for the, for these guys and we're doing, we're doing a lot of mock drafts all the time. You know, we're doing it just so we can feed this knowledge back to you and kind of where we see these people are going. So make sure you check that out and be sure to be, to visit uh, the DFW's incredible forums as we are really active. Talk shop, trade advice, get a lot, get long-term player value perspectives from our knowledgeable staff and the members on the forum as well. Um, you know, we also answer questions from the forum here on this podcast each and every week and some trades as well. So we'll get to all, a lot a lot here as we cover the AFC North. Um, another little series that we like to do that we're having a lot of fun with is the, the best number blank in the NFL. Right now we're going to take a look at the best number 13 in NFL history. So the best to wear number 13 in NFL history, I think there's probably one name that sticks out maybe a little bit more so from more so than the most, but we'll, uh, we'll take, take a look at and see what we can come up with here. Nick, what do you got for the best number 13 in NFL history? Well, we'll start out with the safety, Jake Scott, who went to, to uh, five straight Pro Bowls from 1971 through 1975 and was the Super Bowl MVP for the undefeated 72 Dolphins. Then you got the cornerback, Ken Riley, uh, fifth all-time with 65 career interceptions. Only made one Pro Bowl was in his final year, 1983, at 36 years old. Spent his whole career with the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, overall, number 13 isn't an overall overly impressive uh, list yet, but uh, you know, 15 years from now, Keenan Allen, Kelvin Benjamin, Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, T.Y. Hilton, any or all of these talented youngsters could eventually make this list. But you know, that's of course pure speculation. Getting back to guys that are actually on the list right now, uh, wide receiver Don Maynard was a four-time AFL All-Star, part of the New York Jets team uh, that won that Super Bowl three. You know, it's it's tough comparing stats from old-time players to the players of today because of how much the game has changed. But here's a few nice numbers for you. Uh, he averaged 18.7 yards per catch. That's one full yard higher than the current active leader, Deshaun Jackson. And when he retired, he had the record for most receptions, 633, and most receiving yards, 11,834. That's pretty cool that a former ninth-round pick who had to play in Canada for a year before finding a home with the New York Titans slash Jets could at least at the time that he retired be the most accomplished receiver ever. Uh, Maynard's in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Warner seems to be on the short list. Uh, he was quarterback for the greatest show on turf, won the Super Bowl in 1999 when he burst onto the scene following Trent Green's preseason injury. Uh, 4,300 yards and 41 touchdowns that year. He had three years of over 4,000 yards and over 30 touchdowns. A two-time NFL MVP, Super Bowl MVP. He even led Arizona to a Super Bowl uh, to me, he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, he only had the three 10-win seasons, and he had a two-year stretch where he went 0-7, throwing four touchdowns and 12 interceptions. So he just wasn't consistent enough for me to be a Hall of Famer, but I think he could probably get in anyway. But the best number 13 of all time has to be Dan Marino. He never won a Super Bowl, but 61,000 yards, 420 touchdowns, and in 1984 threw for 5,000 yards. That was unheard of in those days. Uh, nine-time Pro Bowler. He led the NFL in passing yards five times. Still has the, probably the quickest release I've ever seen. It's just a shame Miami never surrounded him with talent. Uh, for example, his last winning season was 1998. At 37 years old, they went 10-6, and six, and he did it with his top two receivers being O.J. McDuffie and Aronde Gadsden with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> at running back. Yeah, I mean, he, he did so much with just nothing around him. He deserved better. You know, I've always said that if Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith switched places, Barry would have averaged 2,000 yards a season behind that Dallas offensive line. 
just think of uh, Dan Marino and Joe Montana had switched places. One could make the argument that Dan would right now be considered the greatest of all time. Uh, yeah, as far as pure passing quarterback, obviously that's the most important thing probably when you're talking about quarterbacks. Yeah, Marino, absolutely, absolutely the man. Just uh, unbelievable. A couple other Hall of Famers that I wanted to point out, some some offensive linemen actually. Uh, Joe Steindahar uh, was the first ever choice of the Chicago Bears in the first ever draft in, two, in 1936. 60-minute uh, performer, also played a offensive, offensive and defensive tackle, was instrumental in making the Bears the monsters of the midway. Uh, it was a it was all-NFL five straight seasons. Um, uh, often played without a helmet in his early career. Love some of the Hall of Fame write-ups. Uh, George Trafton, another offensive lineman, another actually another two-way performer, played a nose tackle and center. These these guys played all 60 minutes. I mean, it's just insane what they used to do nowadays. Come back then compared to what they do nowadays. Uh, was the first person to ever snap the ball with one hand. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. That was George Trafton. A couple of Chicago Bears that won number 13 that are both in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right with the receivers, Hilton, uh, Beckham, Evans, Keenan Allen, Benjamin. Geez, there's there's a lot of them. There's so many of those guys that obviously have the have the could have the potential to be in the Hall of Fame, but you you just don't beat Dan Marino. I mean, there's just really really nothing, no way to get around it. You're right on Warner. I think he's a fringe Hall of Famer. I go back and forth. You know, when you look at his his body work, considering he took two different teams to the Super Bowl, it's pretty amazing. But when you look at his full body of work, you're just kind of like, yeah, maybe not. But two different teams to the Super Bowl is, is probably the most important thing and probably the thing that's going to get him into the Hall of Fame. But he certainly was no more, no was no Dan Marino, that's for sure. I mean, Dan Marino, I'll think if Dan Marino had Marshall Folk and, and Holt and, and Bruce that, that, that and played indoors and didn't have to face, you know, some brutal defenses too, that would suck. Yeah, yeah Dan Marino. Definitely the best number thirteen, and in, uh, in NFL history. So uh, we have Dan on the line, and Dan is going to be giving us uh, a new series that we're doing with Dan here. It's called uh, "A Name That You Don't Know in the Draft." We told Dan not to tell us who it was this year or this week, so uh, we have no idea who he's got on the table today. So we're going to be getting our Google search ready as soon as he says the name. So bear with us if it's a little awkward there for a while, but. In my defense, I was born that way, as the song oh, suggests. Really? <laughs> born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus. Okay. All right. I, How are we doing, guys? I trust you. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're doing great. So just uh, just uh, teased our writers, our writers mock that's coming up here in early April, and also getting people ready for our rookie extravaganza show. But uh, speaking of rookies, you have 
a name for us. Again, we have no idea who Dan has on, has on his mind today. Uh, we're just here to accept it and uh, ask some questions later. So what do you got for us, sir? Yeah, well, today I actually have um, a little two-for-one because I want to mention this guy again, even though he's picking up steam really quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this first one just because I think he's a name that most people are pretty well aware of, and he's climbing most people's uh, rankings after his impressive pro day, and that is uh, University of Central Florida's uh, Brashad Perriman. Um, he, he's been pretty high on our rankings, uh, definitely uh, the highest uh, I've seen him at any football site. Um, across the board at DFW, um, we uh, we love him, and uh, he's a guy that um, is getting a kind of a bad rap for his drop rate. Um, he was, uh, I think, something like 14%. It was pretty pretty glaring. Um, but I look at drops two different ways. Uh, there's bad hands, and then there's bad concentration. Um, and bad concentration can be any number of things. In Brashad Perriman's case, it is a lack of concentration, and it's mainly due to him wanting to get up the field so quick. So he's leaving, you know, he's leaving the ball and trying to get up field a little too fast. It's not because he has bad hands. And there's a distinct difference between that when you're scouting people. Bad hands are hard to teach. They just are. You see it all the time. You see huge you know, these huge athletic guys, like how can they not succeed at this next level? And usually it comes down to two things, separation and hands. And and so, you know, Perriman has the hands. He's got nice receiver hands. He receives the ball well when he's focused on it. He also had horrible quarterback play last year. You can account for at least half of those quote-unquote catchable passes in uh, to the to the quarterback play. So if you got a guy like Perriman who plays with his kind of field speed, gets his type of separation, we're looking at a 4-2-5-40 guy, you know. Um, yeah, he reminds me a lot of Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins, that kind of play. Very fast, extreme cel- uh, acceleration, gets up the field quick. Um, if you don't know about him, you should know about him. He should be in everybody's top at least seven or eight wide receivers at this point. Um, and uh, I think he's number eight overall on my board. But Brashad Perriman is uh, a guy that I was going to mention uh, last week, but then he had his pro day and everything blew up. And I'm like, all right, now a lot of people know about him, so he doesn't really qualify. Um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about Perriman at all or I can go into my next guy. Uh, no, I just I just wanted to uh, to to mention. Or do you know his um, his size? Ah, uh, yeah, he's good size. Um, I want to say. Let me see if I can pull it up really quick. I got it. I think, I think I got it here too. Yeah, six two two twelve. Yeah. Yep. Six two two twelve yep. is what CBS Sportsline has him has him listed. Yeah. So, so totally uh, totally prototypical. Nobody's going to can play outside. Can play in. Yep. Um, he can move all over the field, extension of the running game. He's just, um, he, I'd be surprised to see him fall any later than the early second round at this point in the NFL draft, especially with that pro day. I think there'll be some teams that, uh, 
are thinking about him late. Um, some of the contender teams, even maybe like a New England, someone who's a little wide receiver needy, a Seattle, something like that, um, that could get some pretty good upside in a wide receiver uh, that has maybe a couple question marks. Um, the guy yeah. that I wanted to bring – go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you're, nobody's going to – Nobody's going to argue with that kind of speed and and size combination. Uh, Nick, did you have any questions for Perryman? I didn't want to speak for both of us there. Uh, just real quick, you mentioned his insanely fast forty time. Did that uh, speed show up on film too, or is, is there any oh, way that he's more of a track guy? Uh, okay, absolutely no. It shows up on tape. Um, that's what originally attracted me to him uh, before we ever got any sort of official forty times or anything like that. I mean, you can see it just like in Sammy's footage. They're identical in terms of their explosion upfield and how they get off the line of scrimmage. Uh, there's really no better comparison. Sammy is the best off the line in the class last year. Bursad is the best off the line, you know, uh, in the class this year. And honestly, I don't see it as really close. I mean, obviously it's close. All these guys are good. But in terms of that, you know, micro-analyzing everything, He's in a class by himself in terms of explosion in this class. So he uh, he's definitely somebody that uh, if he can slow his brain down a little bit, um, you know, and make sure that those things are – that the ball is secure before he uses his God-given ability, you know, then you're going to see a guy that's going to be just lethal at the next le- uh, level and a really good elite – upside guy that you can get in the late parts of your, you know, first round rookie drafts, uh, early second rookie drafts, uh, where you can't maybe get a shot at, um, you know, like a Devontae Parker or something like that um, in that first part. So good value there. Uh, Any other questions? No, we are just. I think we are strongly recommending you to uh, drink the Kool Aid because it is yeah. On yeah. Very much. I mean, if you're if you're debate, I mean, if you're looking for just upside and you're sitting in the back half of the first round, he's got to be at the top of your list uh, in terms of targets. Um, the another guy that's going to fall um, mainly because of his size, and this is again a name that I think. Most people who follow the draft are, are going to be well aware of, but I think a lot of fantasy football people who are just tuning in and kind of getting their bearings on this class are not going to be aware of it. And that's uh, Tyler or, uh, Tyler Lockett from Kansas State. Um, he's uh, he's an undersized guy, so he has some stigmas that initially get pinned to him. And I'm guilty of it as anybody. I mean, I I like my prototypical size guys, including running backs. You know, I like the bigger backs. Um, it's not that I don't like the smaller backs. It's just a personal preference. Uh, same with wide receivers. You know, you like to see them 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", and up. You like to see them 200, 220, right in that range as well. Tyler Lockett's not going to hit on any of those things. But the thing that I have to remind myself constantly is, you know, fantasy football in this game has changed so dramatically in the offensive side of the ball that we are seeing undersized wide receivers dominate year in and year out. Look at Antonio Brown. You know, look at uh, T.Y. Hilton. I mean, the the list goes on and on. And uh, so 
we have to readjust our thinking as scouts in terms of what you know what we consider to be a real top prospect and so you have to look at both of them who's going to be the end zone red you know red zone maybe a slightly longer career because they have the physical attributes um, you know, like a Brandon Marshall or an Alshon Jeffrey, where if the speed goes, they can still like, look at Anquan Bolden, you know, those physical prototypical wide receivers who can go and go and go forever and have some value versus someone like, um, you know, T.Y. Hilton, where if the speed starts to go, is he going to be savvy enough to be able to be efficient for as long periods of time Um over his career, it's tough to say. You know, Steve Smith is a good example of that type of wide receiver, but he's also a more physical undersized receiver. Um, so it's kind of hard to say. But I think once the speed starts to go for some of these guys, these undersized guys, um, you know, they can fade really, really quick. But that being said, they can also have a five- to eight-year window of elite PPR production seasons of 100, 110, 115 catches. And that's the people we're chasing when we're chasing guys like Tyler Lockett, who on the next level is absolutely going to be a slot guy. And he probably is going to be the first undersized receiver taken. Um, Maybe Philip Dorsett from Miami, who's a little quicker maybe, but not as technically sound. Um, But Tyler Lockett, in my opinion, is the best undersized receiver, best slot receiver option in this draft. Uh, he's a he's a route specialist. He's absolutely uncoverable on his comeback routes, um, timing routes, things like that. They used him outside at Kansas State a lot. He struggled outside. Um, bigger cornerbacks could easily shut him down and kind of bump him off his routes. Uh, the quarterback play didn't help him very much in terms of outside success. Um, but in the quarterback's defense, the angles are just different when you're thrown to a 5'11 guy who doesn't have the same athleticism as, you know, a Doriel Green Beckham. Um, and so you're not going to see him used that way in the NFL. You're going to see him used underneath a chain mover. Every once in a while, he's going to sneak deep. Uh, so, like all these guys, the landing, landing spot is going to be very crucial, and it's a cliche, and we say it with everybody, but it is so true. It's a huge part of the equation, and we got to let that dust settle. But whoever takes Lockett is going to be is going to be taking him to use him as that nookie blankie, as that guy who they just sit on his routes, um, a rookie quarterback's best friend, so to speak. I mean, you can watch the quarterback play in college and the guy just stares him down. He stares at his routes almost every single play because he knows he's going to be open and, and, uh, and the defenders can't do anything about it. So um, he's a T.Y. Hilton, Percy Harvin kind of extension of the running game. He can be used all over the field to create mismatches. You will see him disappear every once in a while, depending on defensive scheme, if they can put a bigger guy on him and jam him if they can bump him off his routes a little bit, if the refs let him play. Um, so, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. But uh, he's a guy that you'll be able to target. In fact, in our mock, he just went 210. I think he was just taken um, in our mock, Josh. Um, so, you know, I think that's even probably going to be a little early. 
I think you might be able to get them in the late third and for that kind of value or early third, excuse me. And for that kind of value, you know, this is a guy that you definitely want to know. You definitely want to look at, get your own opinion on, but don't discredit him just because he's under six foot tall, under 200 pounds. Uh, he's a very physical guy, but, uh, he's not gonna, he's not gonna out physical any NFL defenders but he's, he's definitely a physical player. So I hope that makes sense. Well, and I, I think I brought his name up last last week too, but he's kind of the same size. I know, you, I know you're kind of in the T.Y. Percy realm, but uh, maybe maybe Derek Mason is kind of another comparison as I hear you talk about him. He's Derek Mason, 5'10", five, five, 190, play, pretty much playing specs. Lockett looks like he's 5'10", 182, so not much of a difference there. I think yep. Mason's probably a little bit thick, thicker chested as he, you know, as his has his career bore on, but somebody certainly a possession receiver that really really moved the stick. So that could maybe be uh, a, a ceiling there for uh, for Lockett. Now, um, I don't know if you want to call him undersized, but he is only an inch taller, and that's uh, another guy that I really like in the draft is Rashad Green out of excuse me, Rashad Green out of yep. Florida State. Um, I I. I know we'll probably butt heads on this, but we can maybe wait to the rookie show. But I think Green was a huge, a huge uh, blanket for Winston last year. It took him out of took it, took that team into out of some really stressful situations and made it better. So I think, but I think he's definitely more of a, a guy that's going to play outside because because he can and he is that more physical player. But uh, just just wanted to bring those two things up. Any questions there, Nick, about uh, Lockett? Uh, yeah, he's a, he compared him to Percy Harvin and T.Y. Hilton. Does he have the same kind of speed as those two players? He does. I mean, he was clocked at a 4-4 flat, basically, at the combine. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see his pro days in the low 3-3s, high 4-2s. He's very quick. He's uh, probably my number two guy off the line of scrimmage behind Perriman. Um, I just love that in a player, uh, that ability to to break loose uh, right away. Um, so, yeah, he, he's got plenty of speed. Um, I'm not sure, you know, T.Y. might have just an edge on him, you know, maybe. But we're talking, you know, hundredths here of a second. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that can, that can vary play to play just depending on, you know, how well you time your, your snap. So they're they're essentially the same player in terms of speed. Seems like uh, a lot of people have Dorsett higher than him now, just because you know he's the he's the four two guy. But you, you're definitely thinking Lockett's more 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 of a polished player. I I don't I have them right next to each other. Um, I think I I have um, uh, Dorsett as more of a natural athlete, as more of a kind of that freelance, kind of a per- more of a Percy Harvin mold. I don't know if it's a Miami thing or what. Uh, there's a little more flash to his game, uh, whereas Lockett is just absolutely polished. He's a very savvy player. He's ready to rock and roll. His hands are solid. They're not elite, but they're very, very good. Um there's um, a subtleness to his game that I like as well. In fact, there's one play in particular, I think it's his Texas Tech tape, about 34 seconds in. It's a very subtle crossing route. It's zone coverage. But you can see he gears it back just a fraction. You know, he knows where the hole is. 
He knows how the play is developing. And you can tell that this guy is the quarterback nookie blanket. He knows he's getting the ball every play. But you can just see him set up that route just by gearing it back just a split, you know, just a split second gives him a little more window, a little more time for his quarterback to get him the ball, and he gets this sneaky little nine-yard first down. But that really stood out to me. It's those little things like that that really stood out to me that say, this guy is ready to go. He understands the game. He understands the feel of the game. He understands defensive pressure or uh, defense schemes and how they work. And so his transition to the next level, I think, is going to be just that much smoother because of it. Whereas Dorsett's more of your freelancer, you know, he's more of your, I'm just going to react to whatever the defense is giving me instead of kind of being in control of it all. But his his athleticism is so good that he can do that. The problem is, is those types of players don't have long windows. They don't have long lifespans because if they don't learn how to control it all, if they don't know how to work within the game, at some point, very quickly, that elite athleticism is going to wear out or they're going to get killed because they're playing so <laughs> loose and free. And it's only going to take one, you know, one hit from a real NFL player to make them think real twice, you know, think twice about it. I mean, if you switch positions, RG3 is a perfect example of that. So, anyway. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for joining us. And I look forward to uh, to debating uh, Winston Mariota with you on April 13th. Oh, yeah. April 14th, excuse me. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, coincidentally, Nick's going to rant about that very same thing, so you maybe you maybe want to listen because I'm going to have some. I'm going to have a little bit of a backdrop. And Nick and let him, but anyway, we've got to, let him have it, Nick. Let him have it. All right, talk some sense into this kid. All right, I don't think you're going to like what he has to say, but we'll we'll get it figured out. All right, got to, we have our next guest on the line, though, so we'll take care, Dan, and we will talk to you hopefully on Thanks, the 15th guys. as well. Yeah, take Sounds care, good. buddy. Okay, we are now joined by Robert D. Cobb of Inscriber Magazine. He is here to talk about his Cleveland Browns, uh, also known as the Dog Father on Twitter. Robert, are you there? I'm right here. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Let's get it to Robert D. Cobb, Inscriber Magazine. Uh, he's here on the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Nick and Josh, presented by the DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Thank you, uh, Robert, so much for joining us. Why don't you can just kind of tell us a little bit about your uh, magazine, what you guys do over there. Okay, well, the Inscriber Digital Magazine is an online magazine that covers news, entertainment, and sports. Uh, we've been up since December 2012, and we're, we're one of the fastest-growing websites in the country. And um, basically, we pride ourselves on covering individual and unique content, you know, some content you can't find anywhere else, as well as in-depth, unique feature stories as well. We try to stay away from the whole sensationalist top 10 half naked chick stuff of other sites and you know in all reality though uh very proud of it it's grown it's it's beginning to gain a serious audience um credibility um hopefully potential investors and um, funding by the end of the year so very excited indeed yes you guys had an awesome article up about uh sean mannion yesterday and uh, that was uh 
If you guys don't know who that is, he's an Oregon State quarterback that's going to be in the draft. Kind of a kind of a late round guy. There's, there's been some people even comparing a little bit to, a little bit of him to Tom Brady. So um, great article though. If you find out more about that guy, just certainly go to Inscriber and check that out. Uh, and that's just uh, InscriberMag.com. Is that correct, Robert? Uh, yes, um, InscriberMag.com. Okay. Yeah. And well, in we are... to... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, but in reference to the Mangan article, I really appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. Um, I wouldn't quite go as far as compare him to, like, a Tom Brady type. I mean, if anything, like, um, if you read the article, I said that unless you have Fox Sports West or the Pac-12 network, you probably don't get a chance to see him a lot on the East Coast. I mean, you hear so much about Mariota and all those other quarterbacks out West, mainly Mariota. But um, from what I've seen of him, and I watch a lot of football, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, a slight. Derek Anderson slash Mike Glennon clone, which is why uh, what I mentioned in the article itself. I mean, he's got a nice, strong arm. He can hit all the vertical routes. Just that he needs to improve his mobility a little and learn how to handle pressure in the pocket and step up more. Other than that, yeah, he'd probably be like a, you know, I say between a third, fifth round pick. You know, I mean, we'll see. But if he just needs to land in the right team in the right system, he can either be a project quarterback that a veteran team could develop to replace uh, a starting quarterback already in place, he sure as hell will not be, I apologize, he sure as heck will not be ready to start day one if needed to. He would need some time no. to develop. No, God, mm. no, no, no. But, yeah, sure. I understand the focus. Of, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say he's certainly an intriguing prospect. I think, you know, kind of along the lines of uh, – Logan Thomas in Arizona, kind of a guy you want to draft, maybe sit on for a couple of years and just see what you have. Maybe maybe you exactly, Ryan Mallett, yes. you know, the fair fair comparison to where he's at, or Mallett exactly, at now, maybe yes. was to where we could see Mannion. So not exactly, uh, not yes. Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, but uh, certainly intriguing prospects. Um, exactly. So let's get to your get to your Browns. Uh, obviously, you have a an intriguing quarterback on your roster as well. Uh, what do you think, Robert? Johnny Manziel will start this many number of games in 2015. What are your thoughts? I think he'll start 12 games this year. Yes, you can quote me on that. I mean, with due respect, this is a first-round pick that your team invested in, and that honestly the only way to properly evaluate him is to let him play, give him game experience. I mean, what kills me is that here in the Cleveland media, you know, various other bloggers, websites and stuff, a lot of them are so anti-Manziel because, you know, he basically took the spot of our former glory boy, uh, Brian Hoyer, who prepped at Cleveland St. Ignatius um, National High School Football Power and stuff. And, yes, Hoyer, I will say this, Hoyer was good for what we needed and stuff. The thing, though, is that once his limitations got exposed and were seen on game tape enough, I feel that a lot of opposing defensive coordinators and defenses took away what he liked to do and forced him to do stuff he didn't do, and thus that's why he's now in Houston. In terms of Manziel, I honestly feel it's unfair to compare a quarterback that's only started a total of six quarters. Six quarters is not enough to evaluate a former first-round pick. That's just bottom line. That's, you know, keeping it real, real talk 100. It's just... Like, no offense to Cleveland media and some of the fellow bloggers and fans here, there's a reason why Cleveland, in my opinion, has a really bad reputation of being such a knee-jerk, overreactive fan base is that 
No, the backup quarterback is so popular in Cleveland. Yes, when Hoyer was doing well, everybody loved him. When he started struggling, they wanted Manziel. Now they saw Manziel, and now they're ready to run him out of town and anoint Josh McCown. I'm like, Josh McCown's only won 17 games in 12 years, and we're going to hedge our bets on that? <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's just, you know, where, where, wherever you are in, in your thoughts about Manziel, it's just a drop in the hat as far as how he's been on the field. He's a first round pick. You got, you have to see what you can get out of him. I mean, even, you know, even if they go, you know, two and ten with him as their starter, you have to give him that opportunity. You have to yeah, you have to give him. You have to give him that. Yeah, exactly. You have to give him that opportunity to play, to develop. I mean, that's the only way you can properly evaluate to see what you have in him, and that's the problem with Cleveland. We go through quarterbacks so quickly because we're not patient enough to let them develop, give them game experience. Like, we're so quick for the quick hook because we want that instant success. And unfortunately, we play the same division as Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Baltimore to have three franchise quarterbacks. What did they do? They let them take their lumps to let them play. Us, we're like, okay, he has a bad quarter or he throws this many interceptions. We're already going to be talking and blogging up the, the backup guy. I'm like, uh, no, and that's one thing, personally, not to toot my own horn, that I pride myself on in my writing and content is that I'm not one to hop on the – why this person should start or why Manziel needs to be benched. Why? I'm like, no, that makes no sense because, yes, you can get that for views and clicks, but at the end of the day, is it logical? Is it something that is mm-hmm. real? Yes, yes, most definitely. Yeah. With those young quarterbacks, I feel like you, just, you have to let them make mistakes and you have to let them figure out why that mistake was made in order for them to get better. Uh, Nick, Nick, any questions there on the Manziel front? Well, you said uh, 12 games starting. Uh, do you think he's the week one starter, or do you think they go start with a veteran and then after a couple losses switch over to Manziel? Well, honestly, now this is the caveat, is that honestly it all depends on what his well-being is like coming out of rehab and stuff. Like if he appears to have his head on his shoulders and that he appears to have properly studied the playbook and that he actually is – purely dedicated to football, I could see him starting week one. I mean, you have to throw the kid out there, like I said, to see what he can do. I mean, that's only fair not only to him, but also the front office and also to the fans, too. I mean, no offense, like like I said, fans are so fickle in the city. They're so quick to turn on a quarterback if they're not doing this. I'm like, after one game, like like the reaction to his loss uh, against Cincinnati was just brutal here. Then he got injured uh, on the road to Carolina, and fans were practically cheering to see Hoyer again. Yes, that's sick and disgusting, but it's like, unfortunately, that's part of the Cleveland fan base is the fact that I still remember when um, Tim Couch was um, cheered when he got injured for Kelly Holcomb, who was the savior, quote-unquote. And it's just like, that that's not right. I could never cheer someone being injured like that. I mean, football's a game. It's a very physical, very violent game, and I dare any of these armchair quarterbacks to uh, do what they do, take the pounding they have to deal with, and deal with the lash, the the uh, public backlash and feedback. The stuff on social media is just absolutely absurd. It is sad, but in reality, Menzel, you have to build around the kid. I mean, look at it this way: if you notice, if you go through the games. Prior to Alex Mack getting injured, the Browns were one of the top teams in the league in rushing. After Mack was injured, teams were able to take away the run and able to stack the box, and they couldn't run off of play action no more. 
And with Mac being back, they can run that system again. Use the run, accept the play action, and then let Manziel do what he does best. Let him be creative in around and outside the pocket. But you have that threat of the run game now, too. You've got Dwayne Bowe and Brian Hartline, and hopefully uh, um, a tight end now replaced Mr. Human China doll, Jordan Cameron. You know, I have, I mean, I like the guy, great guy, when he's healthy, but that's the problem. When he's healthy and after what he pulled on the Browns, whatever respect I did have for him, I lost. He can go, he's now Miami's headache, pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, that was funny. Um, that was good. very good. Uh, okay, well, the big question on fantasy football people's minds right now is Terrence West versus Sylvia Crowell. Is, does one have a better future than the other, Rob? Uh, yes, I do. I feel Isaiah Crowell is the better runner. He's more of a downhill, violent, one-cut runner, whereas Terrence West, I'm not sure maybe he, him and Trent Richardson are related in some way, somehow. But he kinda, he's kind of developed this weird tendency of trying to dance around the hole and you know make a cute little run and stuff, whereas Isaiah Crowell, he's the perfect type of runner for the AFC North. He's physical, he's violent, he goes straight north and south. He'll go one-cut and gone. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. There was I, no. I would well preface this. It was against the Falcons, but there was one run that he made against the Falcons where I saw him make, as you say, that one cut, and I just, I just got chills in my body when I saw him do it. I was just like, wow. That yeah, I watched it. I know it very well. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that was a beautiful yeah, run. Just, oh yeah, just uh, I, I unfortunately I do think. I, th- I think West, I think, is a little bit better than Trent Richardson. I think, I think you're gonna, f- I think he's gonna mature into a little, a little bit decent runner. And, you know, let's face it, Cleveland certainly has a good problem with having two two young running backs that uh, have had success already. So I, I, I do hear what you're saying. I do think Crowell is going to be the better, the better runner there. Nick, any questions there on the running back front in Cleveland? Well, you mentioned uh, Crowell's uh, one cut. Uh, back and you know one cut running backs and Kyle Shanahan, your old offensive coordinator, always kind of went hand in hand. Uh, do you know anything about the system the new offensive coordinator is going to run? Is it going to be similar as far as the running game? Uh, yes, it is. It will actually be very similar. The Raiders ran pretty much the same offense the Browns ran last year with the zone blocking scheme, one cut run. So there shouldn't be a drop off in running production, especially with um, Alex Mack now being back and fully healthy in the offensive line most likely to have a new guard or right tackle, um, possibly in the draft, and uh, move uh, the human turnstile Mitchell Schwartz in the, as a right guard. You know, uh, there like there's some top-rated top, top prospects like Lael Collins and um, Eric Flowers that are projected to be a right tackle selection by the Browns, either at 12 or 19. And honestly, I'm actually proud of the Browns for addressing this because, yes, our offensive line – needs a little bit of work, and that our defensive line, I mean, dude, don't get me started on our defense. Our defense couldn't stop a cold last year, especially against the run. <laughs> I mean, the pass, the, pass will, the pass defense will be much better with the addition of Tremont Williams, and honestly, the Jets overpaid for Buster's screen, and they will get a case of buyer's remorse. I promise you that. So um, the bottom line is, is that in the North, you have to be able to run the ball and stop the run. So if Cleveland sports look actually holds out, and heaven forbid it does. Danny Shelton would be a perfect pick for the Browns at 12 if he falls to us at that uh, spot. Because, honestly, we do not need to mortgage our future to try to trade up for Mariota. Personally, I'm not even sold on a guy. 
I think I think he's a product of that Oregon zone um, offense, which is great in college, but that that stuff does not work in the league. I mean, yes, what um, Chip Kelly's doing in Philly is an aberration, but gradually the NFL will catch up to it. And I mean, name me one Oregon quarterback other than the Hall of Famer Dan Fouts that's actually done something in the NFL. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh Joey Harrington? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, I think Norm, Norm Van Brocklin was a duck, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, I guess I'm not sure. Oh, boy. Norm Van... Sorry, I gave you guys a little no. bit of um, Norm Van Brocklin. I, th- I think he I'm, – I'm getting him confused with um, um, the, the – Sam, Sam, oh, I can't remember. It's the, it's the award given to the best quarterback in the in the um, in college football. He went to TCU, Oregon. Um, uh. Norm Van Brocklin. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of fans today don't even know who Norm Van Brocklin is. I'm one of the few. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll maybe get to more of that later. But let's uh, let's make sense of the wide receivers here. Now, you brought in Bowen Hartling, like you mentioned earlier. Um, uh, one guy I was pretty impressed with last year was the undrafted Taylor Gabriel. Is is there still a future for him in Cleveland with uh, with Bowen Hartline now now in the fold? Uh, yes, I think he will have a very bright future. He could be either our new kick returner, play some special teams. He'll probably see sometimes a third down slot receiver or the fourth receiver. Um, I know Andrew Hawkins has that third spot, but Gabriel very 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 bright. I like his game. He was actually he actually was in the top ten in the NFL in yards per catch, and that um, one wide receiver who also wrote about on the inscriber, uh, Philip Dorsett out of Miami, who's drawn comparisons to Mike Wallace as a speed burner and stuff, and that with um, Hartline and Bo now in the fold, I feel that maybe adding someone like Philip Dorsett that would be a good addition in the slot. They'd have to run four wide receiver sets or whatever. So that's just my opinion, but um, Gabriel's not going anywhere. If anything, I'm I'm very high on him. Okay. Now, is there is there some concerns with Gabriel? Is that why they're bringing in these? Are they just want wanting veteran guys to help the system? I think they want veteran guys to help the system and also to get taller at the wide receiver spot because our average wide receiver height minus Josh Gordon was only about. Um, around 5'10", because you had um, Travis Benjamin, who's about 5'10". You got Gabriel, who's about 5'8", 5'9". Hawkins is about 5'7", 5'8", on a good day. Um, Joking. Um, What else? And that's really it. So basically we had a lot of smurfs in our offense. Our tallest wide receiver opposite Josh Gordon was Miles Austin, who's now in Philly. And we need to get taller. We need to get tall receivers that can challenge outside. We need the speedy, quick Smurfs that can go in the slot inside. Okay. Right. Nick, any any questions there about the, the Cleveland wide receiver core? Well, Dwayne Bowe, when he signed, said he's going to have a breakout season. He had zero touchdowns last year. Cleveland only had 12 touchdowns as a team receiving. Uh, how many touchdowns would he have to score to be considered a breakout year, do you think? Um, in Cleveland, I say honestly, because the bar is set so low here for wide receivers and production, I'm being honest here. I say if he does between 7 and 10, I'll put the number myself at 9 because 
Um, honestly, the reason why he had zero touchdowns last year is Kansas City, they run nothing but a bunch of screens to Jamal Charles, and they rely heavily on the tight end. I mean, it's um, Andy Reid's version of the West Coast offense. I mean, I think back to his days in Philadelphia, I don't think there was ever a wide receiver that finished in the top ten in touchdowns when Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin were there. I mean, I could be wrong, but, you know, his offense is very tight end friendly, so those numbers don't surprise me at all. I mean, in Kansas City, he was kind of treated is more of a glorified decoy of anything and that I think in Cleveland, you know, whether it's Manziel or McCown, uh, with our improved offensive line and better running game, I'm confident in the fact that he will um, definitely surpass zero, which isn't hard, and will finish around <laughs> eight to ten touchdowns. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, I would take that. If, if I'm making a fantasy, fantasy roster and I can get Seven touchdowns out of seven or eight touchdowns out of Dwayne Ball and Cleveland. I, I, I'm there. Sign me up. Um, what, do we, what do we make of Chris uh, Kirksey there on the other side of the ball? A nice linebacker who had who had some great success. Is he, is he ready to shine now there in Cleveland? I think so, yeah, especially with the departure of Jabal Shearer to the Patriots. I think he's ready to step up and fill in that role nicely. I mean, honestly, there's still a weakness in having linebackers that can cover in space, but he's helped cover that a little. And it wouldn't surprise me the Browns target a, a good linebacker, I don't know, maybe second, third round. I mean, obviously it depends. I mean, um, the kid from UCLA, Kendricks, um, Perryman out of Miami, um, someone that can help. Because the one thing Cleveland lacks, and this is something that does need to be addressed, they don't have that man in the middle that commands the defense like Ray Lewis did in Baltimore or Erlacher did in Chicago. They don't have that that voice, that dominant middle linebacker that can help really set the tone on the defense. So they can get a good um, linebacker or a good outside linebacker that can cover. That will go a long way in helping. I'll also say this is that, my favorite linebacker I enjoyed watching last year, well, defensive end linebacker, I really enjoyed Paul Kruger. Like, people were, like, downing him and stuff for his lack of production. But I'm like, are you kidding? Are you watching the same football I am? I mean, because he was one of our best um, defensive linemen total. And Kirksey is ready to take that step as well. Mingo is a waste. I'm sorry. That boy needs to bulk up or drink some muscle milk or whatever they do. Because when they, when, they, when they took him, I'm like – Dude looks about 220. You're out there trying to tackle 210-pound running back so that you full speed and pads? No, you need to bulk up. Seriously. Okay. Well, and you mentioned Kruger. I mean, nobody's going to debate 11 sacks last year. That's uh, I think that was probably a leader on your defense, right? I mean, Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like his game. I like his game a lot. Okay, so... IDP guys, look out for Paul Kruger. Eleven sacks, fifty-three tackles, but that certainly uh, certainly could uh, could get a bit of an uptick this year. So, uh, Kirksey and Kruger, I, I do hear you about Mingo. I feel like he looks a little lost out there at times. Uh, you, you do have Dansby there in the middle, but uh, you know another guy another guy that I want to mention that you, if you want to look for maybe a potential leader, and it's it, it kind of a late round guy, and we'll get to the draft here in a second. But uh, Bryce Hager is a guy that I really like out of Baylor. I think he, uh, I, I'm not sure what kind of a vocal guy he is, but I know he he's been very instrumental on that defense for the last couple of years. So I, I like him, and he's a guy that you could probably get in the fifth or sixth round. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Nick, mm-hmm. any any questions? there about the Cleveland defenders? 
Uh, yeah, uh, Carlos Dansby, he's a player I've really liked over his career, but I didn't watch him much last year. Uh, did he underperform there in Cleveland, do you think? Uh, in my opinion, no, he did not. He performed well up to the standard. I've been following Carlos Dansby's career for a while now, and he's vocal, he's a leader, he tells it as it is. Um, he's that fiery linebacker we we need to display leadership for the defense. And uh, I think, if anything, he'll have a very good year this year. I mean, don't be surprised if Dansby is maybe in the top 20 in um, tackles, um, sacks, because he, he, he's a very versatile defender, and he recognizes coverages, he recognizes formations, and he knows how to get people in the right spot. Also, fellow Clinville boy and Ohio State guy, Dante Whitner, um, love him. And he's bringing that real veteran presence, that fieriness that this team desperately needs. And the defense got a bad rap because of their bad run defense, but he, he he's tough. He comes as advertised. Okay. Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about it so far, but what what are some of your thoughts kind of on the, uh, the free agency period and uh, what uh, what they really need to to get in the, out of this draft? Okay, in terms of free agency, I'm glad to see that they addressed the need at wide receiver, especially with Josh Gordon, um, you know, and his um, issues right now. Um, I mean, obviously, Miles Austin going to Philly, um, I wouldn't say negates them to get another receiver, but I definitely feel they should try to get a good quality tight end because of Cameron going to Miami. Because right now we have Jim Dre and Gary Barndridge. So uh, if they could, like, go after a quality veteran tight end, that would be great. Or in the draft, draft a very good tight end, such as Max Williams or Devin Funches out of that school up north, um, Clive Watford uh, out of Miami, um, or um, fellow boy from um, down the road in Columbus, Jeff um, Herriman. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think so I think so I think tight end uh wide receiver if they can get one late that's great. Um so tight end I would say defensive line obviously. Uh Danny Shelton I mentioned earlier, offensive line um probably linebacker also late. I mean it depends on what they want to do, but I feel in all honesty they should um build the defense as much as possible. Yeah, especially especially that front line. Um, I feel like I say this every week, and maybe Nick can correct me, but uh, you know, if you want to look for a receiver with uh, with with some uh, a burner, basically late or you know mid round, and Eric, or excuse me, Justin Hardy is out of ECU is a guy that I really like. And as far as what I get that what I hear that you think Cleveland needs, I feel like he could be could be a nice fit there, just a guy that you could depend on in the slot and just he really really make things i think he's pretty been pretty instrumental in getting his quarterback shane carden and and uh even you know mentioned in being a late round pick so i, I really like him out of ecu um actually if i may cut in i agree with you completely that was sure. another wide receiver i was actually going to do a profile on and mention in our conversation here because i got to catch some ecu games because of cincinnati uh being in the um aac and Carden, he's a he's a he's a sleeper. If he comes out in the draft next year, he will be a sleeper. I tell you, he could probably go mm-hmm. second, third round, depending on how well he plays this coming year. Uh, but Justin Hardy, yes, I'm very very high on him. I, he's got mm-hmm. very good leaping ability, very good speed. He's a burner, 
And one wide receiver who I did do an um, article on that's on the site right now is Brashad Perryman, who is rapidly climbing draft boards. Like yes. his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, recently posted on Twitter <laughs> that he ran an unofficial 4-2-6. That's, that's impressive. Like the kid's 6'3", 220, runs a 4-2-6 unofficially. <laughs> Dear Lord, so, yeah, I mean, um, I could see him being a nice pick for the Browns at 19 if he's there because, no offense, you can't rely on Josh Gordon forever, and um, Brian Hartline is a glorified slot receiver slash number two. You need that vertical threat that could take the top off. Him also, not to sound like an Ohio State homer, but Devin Smith would be a great fit. Devin Smith's got speed. He he runs every vertical route, but also – he kind of has that, uh, I never thought being a Browns fan, I would mention this in the same sentence. He has that Heinz Ward mentality of, like, run blocking and stuff. He's not afraid to do the dirty stuff if necessary, but he's got the speed and ability to get open and make big plays. Okay, man. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. So, Well, it's uh, Robert T. Cobb, Inscriber Magazine. Uh, make sure you go to our write-up about this podcast later on tonight, and you can click on Robert's name. You can go right to his Twitter page, uh, give him a follow, and then give Inscriber Magazine a follow, too. Great articles, and uh, hit me up when you, hit, when you get that Justin Hardy article. I look forward to reading that, all right? All right, no problem. Thank you guys for having me on, and um, we'll do have to yeah. do this again sometime. Yes. All right, guys. We'll definitely have you back. We appreciate your knowledge, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all take care, all right? Okay. Well, our next guest is uh, one of DFW's own, uh, a new writer, kind of like me and Nick are to the site. Uh, his name is Mike Krafik. I think I got the name. Oh, maybe it's Krafik. Is it Krafik, Nick? Come on. I've, 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 I, I I've got it wrong so many times. Graphic. We're going to go with graphic, but I'm going to give him some intro music first. So here, hold on. about that mike i think i passed you over in the middle of that i hope you i hope you got the full brunch of your intro music if not it trust me it sounded awesome and uh thank you for joining us did we get your last name right uh yeah the second time it's graphic but uh yeah you definitely graphic. got it right and graphic. uh graphic graphic <laughs> okay, i'm sorry music, this is my third time on the podcast so I, I remember the first time on you promised me i'd get uh get some intro music on my third time so i appreciate <laughs> that oh uh, yes yeah. Yes, you had to remind me, but uh, uh, yes, yeah. But I, I'm I'm sorry about that. But thank you for joining us. Of course, we played black and yellow because we're talking about Mike's uh, Steelers. So, and it's graphic, Mike graphic, right? Yes. Yeah. Ah, okay. I'll get it. I'll get it. I need to write like a key of how to pronounce it somewhere. But anyway, Mike, like I said, is uh, one of DFW's own. Uh, a new writer like us too, so we're we're happy to to have you aboard, and we're look forward here to talking about your Steelers. And coincidentally, I've also asked Mike to be the judge for our dynasty dilemma next. So uh, I don't know if you know who the dilemma is, Mike, but you're going to have to decide between two quarterbacks not named Big Ben. So look forward to that. Uh, let's get to your Steelers 
Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, all in place. Martavius Bryant might just be in the best position of any second-year wide receiver, Mike. Don't you think so? I think it's close. Uh, I think he's definitely in a good spot and will continue to progress as, as a receiver in his second year. Um, you know, obviously, I think Mike Evans is, is really in one of the best spots as far as fantasy football production-wise. Uh, he's the number one and going to get the, uh, you know, going to be the focal point of their offense. Uh, but I do think Bryant is in a good spot, and uh, we'll see his targets and his role in the offense increase. But but I really do still think that this is Antonio Brown uh, and Le'Veon Bell's offense. It'll really run through those two players. Uh, but I still think that Bryant will put up some some big production this year. Uh, obviously, you know there's been uh, some receivers let go there, so we're getting the sense that uh, Pittsburgh is pretty comfortable with him being uh, opposite uh, Mr. Brown this this year going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's cemented in that number two role, and uh, Marcus Wheaton um, is really a, a third receiver at best. Um, but I, I think they're, they're they're liking what Bryant showed last year, and I think he can build on that going forward. Okay. Well, yeah, I I absolutely love this guy. In case you don't haven't listened to my to me doing podcasts the last couple of years, but this this guy excites me so much. I, I'm so happy. I have him on a dynasty team, and uh, I'm just excited about him. And obviously, anybody opposite Antonio Brown's gonna gonna have uh, some opportunities there. Any, any questions there, Nick, about uh, Martavius Bryant? Well, you mentioned Mike Evans as being one guy that's a second-year receiver. In fantasy terms, you'd probably rank ahead of Bryant right now. Personally, I would probably rank uh, Kelvin Benjamin, Odell Beckham, and Jordan Matthews also above him. Would you uh, agree or disagree with those three? No, absolutely. I agree with those guys. Um, the one that I was thinking of that I sort of went back and forth on uh, was Sammy Watkins. Um, I, I think if you're just looking at talent-wise, I, I think it obviously goes to Watkins. But the situation that Sammy's in in Buffalo with that run-first offense, um, there's a lot of pieces in Buffalo, so I'm not sure exactly how many targets he'll get. Um, I, I just really hate Buffalo's quarterback situation. So the the three that you had named, I'd definitely put above Bryant, but he's not far behind those guys. Well, and just to give people background, I, I don't think Martavius Bryant is, is going to be the best second-year wide receiver. I'm just saying the, the position that he's in where I know we're talking about a, a bunch of other guys that are number ones on the team, uh, but these are also guys that are going to see double coverage. I don't think Bryant's going to see uh, double coverage. I think Bryant, Bryant is – is in the best position because he's a number two. I just I just like the fact that he's not going to be the focal point of an offense, and he's going to be you know kind of that that undernote to this offense. And and uh, uh, we know we know Big Ben has no problem throwing to a guy six four, that's, especially in the red zone. That's going to be that's going to be fun. Oh man, I just I love me some Martavius Bryant. But anyway, what's uh, who's going to be the running back number two in the Steel City? Obviously, we had a. The uh, Laguerre Blunt brothers situation there, and uh, so what have you? But what, what do we what do we think about uh, number two? Is this a thing that they're going to address in the draft? Well, I, I think it's a position that they'll definitely want to address in the draft. Maybe not on the first day or even day two, but I, I think they'll definitely bring someone else in. 
Uh, in free agency, they brought in D'Angelo Williams, uh, who is, you know, past his prime, and I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Uh, Josh Harris, I, I think, could fill in nicely if needed um, for a game or two, but I don't think he's, you know, a feature running back in this league. Uh, and then Dree Archer is the other running back on the roster right now, and I think he's really just a gimmick player, somebody that they can scheme up a, you know, a couple of plays a game and, and get him involved, but he's certainly not uh, the answer if something should happen to Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, and um, I don't, I don't know if D'Angelo is the answer either. I mean, it's it's nice to have that uh, that veteran presence, you know, a guy that you can feel comfortable with, but. Uh, Let's face it; he's probably no better than Moeldy Moore at this type, of, this time of his career. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I think that was really a kind of a desperation signing. I don't, I don't really know why they brought him in. Um, I think they're considering the uh, Bell suspension, looking like it's going to be two games. They want to have somebody, you know, for two games, and then of course, worst case scenario, if uh, Bell should suffer an injury, they want to have somebody fill in. But, you know, right now with the guys on the roster, I think Harris uh, could, could fill that role. Okay. Um, moving on to uh, the tight end situation. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick, did you have any questions there about uh, running backs in Pittsburgh? Uh, well, obviously Archer's too small to ever be in every down back, but he had uh, less than 20 touches on offense as a rookie. Do you think they're going to work him into the fold a little bit more in year two? I could see them scheming a little bit more for him, give him a few more touches, more so in the receiving game than handing him the ball and pounding him up the middle. But uh, it's definitely something, I mean, we, we spent a third-round pick on him, so I'd really like to see us get some usage out of him and, and try to get him more involved and see what he could do. Okay. Well, I did see they did come out and say that uh, Martavia, or excuse me, um, Antonio Brown is going to continue to return some kicks. So, uh Maybe uh, maybe Archer can you know help that out in that field because I don't know if you want your number one receiver continuing to do that forever, but they're still obviously comfortable with them doing that. So maybe that's another another way they can get use out of him. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just not a huge Archer guy. I, I like his athleticism, but I, you, you just worry about that that size at this level. Um, who is the who's the tight end of the future going to be here in uh, in Pittsburgh, Mike? I mean, we obviously Heath Miller is about. 54 years old, so they they have to address this. I don't know if Matt Matt Spath or Mr. Rob Blanchflower are ready to ready to be the the Mr. Tight End of the Future. Do you think? Uh, no, I do not. I don't think the uh, Tight End of the Future is on this team. I mean, they have an interesting guy, Michael Agnew, uh, out of Missouri. He's um, 25 years old, so he's, he's young enough, much younger than uh, Heath Miller and Matt Spath, but. I, I, I don't know a whole lot about him to say he's definitely the guy of the future. Um, with, with the way the Steelers really use the tight end position, um, I, I don't see them having a, a tight end like a Jimmy Graham or Gronkowski where it's really going to be a, a plausible fantasy option. I, I think Keith Miller, you know, a few years ago in his prime um, is the best that we could possibly hope to see. Um, I, I think they they have a few blocking tight ends and, and guys that can make some difficult catches over the middle, but nobody that's going to be a, a major contributor offensively moving the ball. Okay, do you think that's 
a position they might want to draft again. If there's if they see somebody out there, you know, like a Penn State Jesse James floating around third, fourth, maybe even fifth round. I, I mean, I, I think if the the value is right in the draft, but I think they have so many other needs. Um, that this team's doing pretty well on offense with the skill players that they have in place. I think they really, and I know we'll get into the draft in a little bit, but I think they really need to address their secondary and, and their linebackers. They really need a pass rusher on this team um, that if they end up spending a high pick on a tight end, unless it's a great steal, I, I wouldn't be too happy about that. Okay. Uh, well, this this next question is maybe maybe a little personalized for me, but uh, one of the uh, dynasty I'm, was uh, fortunate enough to take over a team in DFW 36, and uh, my cornerback situation is not the greatest. But we you are required to play one cornerback, and so I just I'm just wondering, Mike, if you can fill me in on uh, Cortez Allen. Can he be an, an IDP option in cornerback required leagues? I, I, I think we saw a little bit out of him last year that that I liked, but he had some injury concerns as well. Right, yeah, I mean, last year Allen played 11 games, started seven of them. Um, I think in a league, in an IDP league, where you only have to start one cornerback, I I don't know that he's a real good option. I I don't think he's, you know, one of the best 12 or even in the top 20 uh, of cornerbacks in the league right now. Um, So I would probably stay away from him in an IDP league that only started one corner, uh, maybe if you needed to start two. But again, like I said, this is this is Pittsburgh's biggest area of need, in my opinion. I think we need to get some good physical corners, and, and we need to address our safety position. So this is what I'm hoping they, they target in the draft, uh, is a big physical cornerback that could maybe fill that position that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, any questions there about uh, Pittsburgh defense, uh, other IDP guys? Well, I, I had read that uh, Cortez Allen actually got benched last year before he got hurt. You know, and had kind of struggled uh, after signing a big contract, and the team could save uh, over $5.5 million if they release him after June 1st. Do you see that as being a possibility, especially if, as you say, they uh, draft a co- uh, corner early on? I think it definitely is a possibility if they're able to fill that role um, with Pittsburgh's salary cap uh, position being what it is. I think they need to save money wherever they can. So if they can bring in a guy that they feel confident about that could, you know, play some meaningful steps in his first or second year, uh, I could see them making that decision to try to free up some money. Yes. Free up some money. That's a lot of NFL teams need to do. So, uh, um, any, any other thoughts here about the draft and, and the free agency period? I know it's kind of touched on free agency, but uh, doesn't seem like there's too many people out there to make a move to help the defense now. So, obviously, defense is probably probably top priority. Just kind of shoring that up. Is that what you're feeling there, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I said this before, they really need a pass rusher on this team. Uh, they brought James Harrison back, uh, which, I mean, he, he's pretty long in the tooth there, but I still think he's got enough that he can contribute and be a situational downs player uh, and get after the quarterback. But in, in the first few rounds, I'm really hoping they go strictly defense and uh, bring in a, a corner, a safety, 
or or an elite pass rusher to try to give this defense some youth. Um, you know, they've lost quite a bit over the years. I mean, Ike Taylor's not coming back. There's question marks about whether or not Troy will be back. I, I don't know even if he does come back how much he has left. So they really need to get some players on the back end of that defense. Okay. Nick, any thoughts there on the Pittsburgh draft? Um, seems like they're really thin at receiver behind the top three, of course. Uh, do you think they can take one uh, one late, later on, like, say, around 5-6? I, I could definitely see them doing that. I mean, that's kind of what they do is they find value in the draft at, at, at receiver. They seem to be – they have a good track record of getting players later on in the draft. Uh, Mike Wallace, I think, was a fourth-rounder. Antonio Brown was a sixth-rounder. Um, so they can find these guys later in the draft, and, uh, you know, they end up being productive players in this league. So I, I could definitely see them doing that. I'd like to bring up the name Justin Hardy one more time. <laughs> as a, uh, sorry, Mike, I, I mentioned him probably twice a week. But uh, as, as another just a middle-round middle guy, a lot of speed, a lot of, a lot of – uh, excitement he could provide in the slot there. So he seems to fit a lot of people's molds there as people need to stack that position because this is a this is a, rece- a receiving league, it's a passing league. So that's, uh, that's just a name I like to throw out there. Um, and, any other thoughts there on your Steelers there, Mike? Uh, just hopeful for this year. I think we got some good pieces in place. I um, think we can make a run at the AFC North. Uh, if Le'Veon Bell can stay healthy, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he can be the best running back in the league. Um, he's really taken a few nice steps over the last couple of years. I'm actually working on a dynasty spotlight for Bell, looking at his college production in his first two years in the league and trying to trying to project what's next for Bell. Um, I think they continue to get him involved in the passing game. He's one of the rare feature backs in this league that are left is not part of the committee. Um, so I hope they continue to use him the way they did last year, keep him involved in the passing game. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about our opportunities this year. And like I said, if we can shore up that defense, get a little younger, um, I, I think we got as good a shot of anybody at, at taking a run at the Super Bowl. Good. Um, is there any uh, any lingering uh, questions about uh, his injury that he suffered last year? Not, not that I've seen. I, I haven't really heard any major concerns about whether or not this injury is going to impact him long term. I know. I mean, he was talking about considering playing in the Pro Bowl uh, just that shortly after the injury happened. Um, there was even some consideration that he might come back for that game against uh, Baltimore in the playoffs. So given that information, I I really don't see this as a long-term concern. Um, It was kind of, you know, a freak injury. It wasn't one that I would say was, you know, because they overworked him or gave him too much, too many carries or anything like that. I think it was just one of those things where he got hit on the side of his knee and his knee buckled. Um, But I'm thinking he'll come back into camp in good shape and, and ready to play. Yeah, I don't think uh, there's a lot of a lot of debate as far as his his prospects moving forward. I mean, you know, we've all been doing mocks, and he's usually the first running back off the board. I just I, 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 a tremendous rushing rushing and receiving running back. Um, yeah, he's very very exciting player, and you know, with 
Antonio Brown, another guy being right off, you know, a lot of times in the top three, you got you definitely got to love like Pittsburgh's chances to to get out of that brutal North Division. Um, well, Mike has been kind enough to uh, play judge and jury. Uh, you don't have to take your Steelers gear off, but uh, we're going to do our uh, our our dynasty dilemma here uh, this week. You know, we're getting all AFC North as we debate Joe Flacco versus the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton. Uh, it was my turn to choose first this week, and so I chose Mr. Flacco. I do want to say that I am an Andy Dalton sympathizer. I'm one of the few people, I think, left out there that still believe in him. I mean, this guy did get his team to the playoffs for four straight seasons. Uh, obviously, playoffs, fantasy, you know, playoff and fantasy football don't necessarily go hand-in-hand, but, uh, I mean, I think if you were going to ask somebody in Cleveland if we can draft a quarterback and guarantee he's going to get you to the playoffs for st- four straight years, I think they would be all over that. But anyway, I've got Joe Flacco. So let's go. I go I'm going to go first, but i got to play some music here and clear myself. Joe Flacco, he started every single game in his first seven years in the league. He's not missed one game. Started 16, all 16 games every every single year so far. He is three years older than Dalton, so that that is the knock. And if you, I know you dynasty guys out there like myself love love the youth, but I just feel like you're getting out of Flacco, a guy that's really going low in mocks. You're getting at least three, four solid years of production out of this guy because you know he's going to be their starting quarterback. You know there's no questions going into the offseason that he's not going to be the starting quarterback there. Uh, his career completion percentage is 60.5, which is not grand, but it's it's, it's still decent. And considering he's kind of had uh, a revolving door of receivers, I don't necessarily hate that. He's never thrown more than – 27 touchdown passes in a single season, uh, but he does only have 90 career INTs to 148 career touchdowns. Uh, if he had AJ Green on this team, I think he would be a top five quarterback. That's that's just my personal opinion. Um, like I said, three years older than Mr. Dalton, but uh, and, and Dalton is on pace to have better statistics than Flacco. Um, while while the playoffs record, you know, doesn't matter for us fantasy wise, there is something to be said about confidence that you can instill in each one of these players. Um, you know, Flacco has seen the top of the mountain. He has the ring. He's ready to go come crunch time. Uh, Dalton seems to disappear in big games towards the end of the regular season, which, you know, fantasy playoffs, you know, he can just not be counted on. You know, the mega failure last year against Cleveland on that fateful Thursday night where he was 10 for 33, 86 passing yards, spelled primetime terror for this ginger snap as far as I'm concerned. Uh Again, I am a Dalton sympathizer, but you're putting him right next to Flacco. <clears throat> Excuse me, and and I think I'm going to go Flacco. So, uh, Nick, what do you got for us, and Mr. Dalton? Well, you know, I'll give you that if I were starting a real life football team and had to pick between the two, I'd probably go with Flacco over Dalton. 
But as far as fantasy goes, I'll take Dalton every time. Uh, and for two key reasons. Uh, one, you look historically, and Dalton's got a higher ceiling. In 2013, uh, Andy Dalton threw for almost 4,300 yards and 33 touchdowns, whereas Joe Flacco's never thrown for 4,000 yards and never over 27 touchdowns in the season. So I like the high ceiling there that you get with Andy Dalton. And number two, you just have to look at the talent that surrounds them right now. Joe Flacco, he's got ancient Steve Smith, uh, Marlon Brown, who uh, couldn't beat out Torrey Smith for targets last year. He only had 25 catches. Uh, Justin Forsett, he's about 30 years old. Lorenzo Taliaferro's unproven. Uh, Dennis Pitt always gets hurt. So I'll take the quarterback of an up-and-coming Bengals offense. You know, A.J. Green's all-world. He's tall, he's a good red zone guy, and he's about 10 years younger than Steve Smith. Uh, the tight end, Tyler Eifert, I'm pretty high on. Marvin Jones looked good before getting hurt. And if he can't produce, then Muhammad Sanu proved last year that he can. And in the backfield, you got Giovanni, Bernard, and uh, Hill, two of the best uh, young pass-catching running backs in the league. So, you know, Joe Flacco, he's making $20 million a year on his contract. That kind of prohibits the team from getting any being aggressive in free agency, going after your uh, talented wide receivers. I just don't want a quarterback whose wide receiver one is 36 years old and his wide receiver two only had 24, 25 catches last year. Man, Nick is good to sound like. <laughs> yeah, what do you I, got I mean, in, I got to tell you, this, this is close, and I'm trying to take my anti-Ravens bias out of this, um, <laughs> out of this decision, um, but but I think I'm going to have to give the slight edge to Andy Dalton uh, for the talent that's around him, the the youth. Um, I, I think losing Torrey Smith hurts Joe Flacco. I do like the addition of Mark Tressman, and I'm kind of that piques my curiosity a little bit to see what Tressman can do uh, with this offense, but I think it's really limited with the lack of weapons that, that they have in Baltimore and just their conservative, uh, sort of play calling that they've had over Flacco's career. Um, so I'll give the slight nod to Andy Dalton in this one. Cause you like redheads. <laughs> cause I hate Ravens. <laughs> oh, cause you hate the Ravens. Okay. All right. I got you. All right. All right, and if you want, you can go to DynastyFootballWarehouse.com and vote on that dilemma. Um, I will say that maybe Nick always wins the war on the podcast, but I, I, I won the race last week with Eric, Eric Ebron, got more votes, but that's just, you know, Dynasty nerds given, a, given the nod to youth, I believe. But anyway, uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and I'm really going to try hard. It's Mike Crafik. You got it. Oh, okay. I wrote it out with two A's. That's how I'm going to remember it for now. Not gray, not gray, not crafic. Two A's. But I'm sorry. I've got it wrong so many times. I'm going to get it right now. From now on, Mike, Crafic, Dynasty Football Warehouse, talking about his Steelers. And uh, make sure you look look on, uh, look for Mike's article, his Dynasty Spotlight on Le'Veon Bell. I'm working on a Derek Carr one myself. So, uh having a lot of fun with that. So those, another, just another great thing we do here at DFW. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, and you know you're coming back, and you know I will hopefully get your name right. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. Love the show, and uh, keep doing what you do. All right, cool. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. 
Okay, Nick, uh, we are going to go straight into the Ravens, and then we'll do the uh, Dynasty trade analysis after that. Uh, but let's get to a team that Mike likes to hate on, and that is uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, first first question there, Nick. Justin Forsett is the man. Uh, but with Bernard Pierce out of town, look, don't we think Lorenzo Telefalo is definitely roster roster-worthy player? Um, roster worthy, yes, but I'm I'm really not sold on him quite yet. Uh, his averages look pretty decent, 4.3 uh, yards per rush. Uh, just makes me wonder why he couldn't even beat out Bernard Pierce for carries. Pierce got 93 carries to Taliaferro's only 68, and Pierce just didn't look good at all last year. And plus, they've got the new offensive coordinator, Mark Tressman, so you don't know how he's going to fit into the new system there. Uh, there's rumors of them possibly drafting a running back early. You know, if I had Taliaferro, I definitely don't release him but I wouldn't give up a whole lot to get him right now. Mm-hmm. And one thing that intrigues me about Telia Farrell is uh, they did give him some goal line work last year. And uh, with, uh, you know, Forstett, like we mentioned earlier, being being 30 years old, um, I can see that uh, maybe uh, maybe being an ongoing theme there. And so if you need, you know, if you need a guy, if you need a guy to throw in there for a bi-week replacement, you know, if they're playing, you know, uh, a bad run defense, maybe Telfero's a guy that gets you that six-point touchdown there. So uh, uh, hold on to him in dynasty formats for right now, but just because, you know, for all intents and purposes, he is the future right now, but uh, not uh, don't be uh, – don't put too much stock in him either. So uh, there's certainly a guy, a nab late if you have a four set. Because, you know, those 30-year-old running back for a four set maybe doesn't have as many miles, most of them. He's certainly uh, – Certainly, I was always open up to injury. So, uh, well, we just talked about him a little bit here, Nick. But what do we think about uh, Joe Slack? And will he regress? You know, he he went from winning the Super Bowl to having a pretty pretty downtrodden 2013, only 19 touchdown passes and 22 interceptions. Bounced back last year with a tw- uh, with a 27 touchdown, 12 interception ratio. Uh, but uh, not 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 a guy that's going to go out there and throw for 4,000 yards. And, some you know lack of weapons what what are we thinking about Slackless production this year well you know he might regress a little bit but i don't think it'll be a whole lot he's been pretty consistent throughout his whole career uh he hasn't thrown for under 3600 yards since his rookie year in 2008 and like you mentioned he's also never got to 4000 yards although he did get pretty close last year with 3986 uh and in six or seven seasons he's thrown either 10 or 12 interceptions so that's pretty good and between 19 and 27 touchdowns each of the last six years uh the one thing that stood out to me uh was that he only took 19 sacks last year, whereas his previous uh, low in a season was 31. So that's pretty good. And if he's getting the ball out quicker, that could uh, really help those young players that receiver develop uh, hopefully a little quicker. Yeah, yeah most definitely. You know, and the thing that I like about Flacco is where, and I think the key thing that you said was consistent. He's very consistent. And he's not, you know, where he's not going to be the guy that's going to throw for the 40 touchdowns and, you know, the 5,000 yards. He's not a guy that's going to lose too many games for you either, and I am talking fantasy wise. He's not going to go out there and have the the three four pick games. He just doesn't do that. He's he's a, he's a smart cookie, and he just sticks. You know, it sticks to what keeps him successful. Where their offense might be conservative, you know, it could open up a little bit with uh with Tressman. I I just think he he's just uh been such a solid, consistent performer, like you said, Nick. And, that, and that's why I, I like him so much. That's why I, I go back on him so much. And I should say, you know, part of my Flacco love was having uh, 
the other two quarterbacks on my dynasty team last year being Sam Bradford and Nick Foles. So obviously there's not a not a <laughs> lot of good comparisons there. Is and I think Flacco was actually the leading scorer on my uh, dynasty team last year. So uh, that's how I did in my dynasty startup. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on before people really start uh, discarding what I say. Um, who replaces Torrey Smith in this offense, Nick? Well, first off, they're not replacing a whole lot. Torrey Smith was pretty one, one-dimensional player, just a deep threat. He had under 50 catches last year, under 800 yards. He only had one more catch than Owen Daniels, who also has uh, is gone over to Denver. Uh, Marlon Brown and uh, Kamari Aiken both had 24 catches last year. But personally, I'd be surprised if either of those two guys is actually starting opposite Steve Smith. I think that the receiver is a position they're going to address fairly early on draft day. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed to be the trend, you know, after the regular season that Todd Gurley was going to be their first round pick. That was the trend I was seeing in mocks. Um, now I've seen a lot of people have, like Nick said, have them going to Seaver. I saw one yesterday that had them going Jalen Strong. I think that would be an amazing ad for this team, and that's going to make me like Flacco even more. Uh, Strong is um, – he's, he's a guy I like a lot. I think he's a little, little – Gonna need some polishing, but I feel like he's a guy that kind of because I feel like he's a guy that kind of plays down to his competition. But I think being on the level where he's gonna be constantly challenged is going to be really good for him. He needs to work on um, the way he catches the ball. He kind of lets his body catch the ball a little bit, but he does have good hands too as well. And he, he's really a graceful wide receiver. I see a lot of a. Uh, Randy Moss and a lot of the ways he attacks the ball. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Randy Moss, but I, I see that tendency in him. I see that uh, that uh, that developing in him, and I think you're going to see some really good things from him at the next level. So uh, that's uh, maybe something we'll get to a little bit later, but but uh, that's kind of what I see in there as far as what I'm seeing in, in mocks out there. Um, head coach John Harbaugh, very confident. And Timmy Jernigan and Brandon Williams, mostly Jernigan, I think, will make up for Haloni Nada's production. Uh, that's that's a big statement there, Nick. Does this make Jernigan an IDP breakout candidate? Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, Jernigan was a second-round pick last year, 6'2", 298. Uh, he had three starts, and last year had four sacks and 25 total tackles. He's a completely different player from Haloti Nada. You look at uh, Nada, he's around 330, 340 pounds, never had six sacks in a season, uh, did a really good job just eating up blocks and freeing other people up on that defense. Uh, last year, Haloti had two sacks and 35 tackles in 12 games. I think this is a case where Jernigan's probably not as good of a player He's good. He's just not as good as Haloti Nada, but he'll probably have better numbers just because being you know thirty, forty pounds lighter, he's going to be more of a more of a penetrator. Probably get more sacks and a few more tackles. Uh, he also had a sack in the playoffs last year against New England and got really high grades from Pro Football Focus. So I think Jernigan should be in for a really good season. Yeah, I like Jernigan a lot. Uh, thing I like about him is like uh, like Nick said you know kind of the undersized defensive tackle they do move him around especially like in, in, in nickel and dime packages they kind of move him off off you know the guards and sometimes even in the defensive and mode which is only going to help his IDP value as far as I'm concerned where he's going to be the guy that gets the penetration probably gets a, you know gets a half a dozen sacks he's certainly going to see an uptick in tackle numbers I think with uh with him moving, being able to move all along the offensive line. So I, I, I like Jernigan. I don't know if he's necessarily a breakout candidate, but you're certainly going to see 
uh, a lot more of him on the field this year, and that's certainly going to open up to opportunities. Uh, so kind of kind of keep your eye on Jernigan there as an as an IDP. Or um, any any thoughts other thoughts here on this draft, Nick? I mean, what what do you think maybe their their top priority? Well, we mentioned it earlier. I think it's got to be wide receiver. Right now they're at uh, pick number 26. You look at their front office, Ozzie Newsom and company, they're easily one of the top five front offices in the NFL. They're always drafting for next year. So, you know, it's impossible to say for sure that they're going to go wide receiver in the first round, but if if, uh, one slips to them there, they definitely would, I think. Yeah, of course, the the top five, you know, the, they, we've seen them go all, all over the board here in, in mocks. And uh, if if they were to get a strong or uh, Doral Green Beckham that late, I think that'd be nice there. So um, that's certainly something they need. They need, you know, not not only do they need a solid number two, they need you know, a potential number one for the future with Steve Smith being, you know, over 35 years old. Um, they – they do – I think they need some pieces on that defense. You know, I think maybe corner is another one that they could address, and that's that's a position that's, I think, a lot deeper than people think. Um, and uh, it's not, it doesn't hurt to add, add an offensive lineman or two never. And, you know, with this, there, there being some really – I don't say it's a great tight end draft, but I think there's a lot of intrigue with a lot of these guys – Certainly, somebody they could take a chance on later. They do have Crockett Gilmore, who they drafted fourth round last year. I like him. I think he could develop into something decent for them. Uh, a big, big, solid kid. I don't think he's ever going to be a you know a tight end one, uh, but certainly a guy that can contribute and maybe be a decent red zone threat. So that's what we have for you on the Ravens. Uh, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the DFW 36 one because I'm so glad we put this on it. This trade didn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm in this league. I saw it happen. I'm just like, uh, okay, whatever, whatever. But anyway, somebody gave up Jamal Charles and got Marshawn Lynch, a stack a two pick 2.3 this year and a third round pick in 2016. Now. It seems like we're kind of like the same player. Obviously, Charles is a little bit younger, but this move doesn't seem to make much sense to me unless this guy that's getting, you know, I mean, the guy that's getting Charles is giving up picks, so he's really thinking he's just going to make a run here because that's, I guess, you know, Marshawn's at, at that 30 age. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, it's a short-term advantage for the team that picked up uh, Marshawn Lynch and a long-term advantage for the team that got Jamal Charles. I would personally be surprised if Lynch plays past this season. Uh, he just, you know, his physical running style, it takes a, a lot more of a toll on, your, on a person's body than Jamal Charles, who's more of a darter and dasher. Uh, so I, I like the trade for the side that picked up Charles, actually. Only giving up uh, in picks the second and the third, uh, I think that's a pretty fair deal. Yeah, I'm just torn on it because you know, uh, no, you know, no offense. Charles does have the knee on his record, as as you know, he has the ACL thing on his record, and you know, we, I don't, we know that running back window closes pretty quick. I mean, look, look what a legend Larry Johnson was in Kansas City for those those handful of years. Now, I don't think it was even that many. I think it was maybe two or three. 
and we just we know that door can slam so quickly. And you know, if there's any kind of lingering injury things, and Kansas City has an opportunity to uh, to move on, and we know they have Niall Davis, I, I don't I don't think they would hesitate to do that. So I I just I I'm not a crazy fan of this trade. I think obviously you're getting some. Uh, a little bit of value either way, but I'm just I, I, I'm not sure Charles can be a top you know five running running back for fantasy teams you know the next two or three years you know maybe maybe next year and maybe a year after that but I, and that's if that's what that person wants uh, that's great I just just doesn't really stick well with me okay uh, oh Burgundy was up again Mr Dan Hines uh, flipping uh, Danny Woodhead and Devonte Adams. And a 2013 third round pick for Trey Mason. What what are your thoughts there, Nick? Oh, it's a lot to give up for Trey Mason, especially there with Devonte Adams. I mean, there's so much upside being a wide receiver in that Green Bay offense. But you know, if, if Dan needed a needed a running back, then I really like the move. I, I, I'm a Trey Mason believer. I think he's going to still be the bell cow coming season in St. Louis and probably for the next handful of years. So I like the move, even though it is a lot to give up with Devontae Adams. Yeah, I like the move too. I mean, where Devontae Adams has such a great dynasty value, you, you don't think his, his peak isn't going to be for two or three years where, you know, we're going to see Trey Mason and what he can do these next two or three years. I think, you know, we're going to see some some really good things out of him. I'm not saying he's going to rush for 1,800 yards next year, but if if he's going to do that, it's going to be this year or next year. We're going to see that peak there, and Dan looks like he's going to think he's going to go on a run there, and he's, now he's got a great young running back. Uh, I certainly have a lot more confidence in Trey Mason than I do of any of the rookie running backs right now because we've seen him, we've seen him flourish. Uh, one thing I want to say, Nick, about Trey Mason, I know there's a lot of talk about him. I know a lot of people are high on him. He's going like round three or four, and a lot of uh, a lot of dynasty uh, startup mocks. Let's take away the Oakland Raider game, Nick. We're talking, you know, we're talking two touchdowns, 150 yards of production. Let's take that away from his rookie season, Nick. What do we think about Trey Mason without that game? Um, I think he's still good. I mean, yeah, obviously he that was the one big game, and uh, when when runners rookie runners only have one or two big games, kind of brings to mind Doug Martin. You know, he had the two big games his rookie yeah. year, and then kind of fell off a cliff after that. But I think uh, Mason's a lot more talented of a running back than Martin was, so I still believe in him. Okay. Okay. The final trade we have here is. Uh, Jonathan Stewart again. And I heard a Carolina, the guy that writes for the Carolina Panthers for Pro Football Talk. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, name, but he said on Pro Football Talk Live on the radio yesterday that Carolina doesn't need to draft a running back. They're stacked. They got Tolbert and Jonathan Stewart. I'm just like, both these guys are 28 years old at least, and Jonathan Stewart's never been healthy. I just, oh my gosh. I just don't get the Jonathan Stewart thing. That's fine. Anybody that wants to draft him, they can take him. I'll take the next available running back. I, I'm, I'm over this guy. But anyway, interesting trade here is we have uh, Adrian Peterson and the Seattle defense flipped for Jonathan Stewart, Andre Williams, who I still like, in a 2015 draft pick 2.4. What are your thoughts, Dr. 
oh, I love the side that picked up Adrian Peterson in the Seattle defense. Uh, I mean, get, like you mentioned, uh, Jonathan Stewart can't stay healthy. Andre Williams, he's part of a three-headed running back by committee situation there in, in New York now with Shane Vereen and uh, Rashad Jennings. And so, yeah, you know, being able to trade away those guys – committee guys for a guy, Adrian Peterson, who likely wherever he winds up is going to be the guy at running back for this season, at least for this next upcoming season. I, I really like that trade. I, I, I feel what you're saying, and, and I do like that side too, but Andre Williams still intrigues me. I know he's part of a three-headed monster, but we've seen what happens when Rashard Jennings tries to get the full brunt of touches. He breaks down. He doesn't stay healthy. I don't know if he spent too much time with Darren McFadden not going to the training room or what, but he just he just kind of does not have the durability. And Vereen is not an every down back. I think Williams, where we didn't see a whole lot from him last year, I think he is going to develop into a solid, solid running back of the stick. I'm not saying he's going to be Adrian Peterson. I still like him, and I'll still listen to trade offers if you want to flip me Andre Williams. So uh, there you go, DFW 36. Send me your worst offer and I'll see what I can do. Um, so like trade, still intrigued by Andre Williams. You know, those second year running backs, you just, you can't give up on them. It's not like, you know, it's not like they're Steve Slayton by any means. You just can't give up on them. So um, each and every week we do a little something that we like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host Nick the floor to rant about something that's uh, bothering or on his mind. Uh, this week we are going deep into the NFL draft quarterback. So we're going to get pumped and see what Nick's got Now that free agency has cooled off, it's officially draft season, and one of the most polarizing topics, of course, is Winston versus Mariota. Uh, The general consensus is that Jameis Winston will go number one overall to Tampa Bay, and the most often often used argument I've heard is how playing in a pro-style offense at Florida State means Winston will translate to uh, or transition to the NFL better than Marcus Mariota, who of course played in the shotgun spread offense at Oregon. Now obviously there is something to be said for a quarterback having experience taking three, five, seven step drops, making pre-snap reads at the line of scrimmage as opposed to views from shotgun and everything else that comes from lining up under center. But to me that argument is it's just oversimplified. Not only does it ignore quarterbacks who have successfully made the transition from playing in a spread offense in college, guys like Joe Flacco, Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick, Cam Newton, and Drew Brees, but if your argument is based upon not this quarterback but other quarterbacks' track record in that system, then Florida State and Jimbo Fisher should have a better history of sending quality quarterbacks to the pros, right? Well, Jimbo has coached three recent first-round picks. you got E.J. Manuel, uh, sister Christian Ponder, and before going to Florida State, he was the offensive coordinator at LSU, where he coached up Jamarcus Russell. Hmm, so I guess playing in Jimbo's pro-style offense isn't a sure sign of success in the NFL. And that doesn't mean that Winston is a sure bust either. My point is the prospects need to be judged on their own merits. I remember back when Aaron Rodgers fell into the 20s on draft day. His biggest knock was he was a Jeff Tedford quarterback, and other Tedford quarterbacks like Joey Harrington and Akili Smith had been recent busts, so teams passed on Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) You know, you just can't write a player off solely because of the system they come from in college. What do you think, Josh? 
Um, well, I kind of feel the same way about the people that are hating on Mariota. I just, I don't get it. I saw somebody took out a, their own Twitter profile just against Tennessee taking Mariota. I, I, he's exciting. He's going to put people in the seats. He's not, you know, he's not five eleven and three quarters like Johnny Manziel. He's six two two twenty. He's got moves. I, I see Kaepernick, I see Griffith, but I also see Russell Wilson in his game. Uh, one of one of my one of my good friends on Twitter, Brand, uh, Brandon on Sports, said the exact same thing about Jamarcus Russell, Jamarcus Russell and Jameis Win, Jameis Winston comparison yesterday. I, I love it. I, I I'm a, and I'm a Florida State guy. I love Jameis Winston when he played for Florida State. I love the Florida State Seminoles. I just worry about his decision making. Yes, off field and on the field. I, you know, Mariota threw four interceptions this season. Jamarcus threw four and one half, I believe. So I, <laughs> where I think Jamarcus is, or excuse me, not Jamarcus, Jameis has got himself where he is. You know, obviously he's been given a lot of stuff in his life. He's been, he's probably been, was the best player on this high school. He probably is the best, you know, everybody just assumed he was going to be the best player on this college team. Now he's going to have that burden of being the number one overall pick. And while while he's going to a good situation with Mike Evans and, you know, still possibly Vincent Jackson there, Mariotto might not be going to the ideal situation, but I think we're going to see quite clearly early on who the who the better athlete is. I, you know, anybody can be accurate in the combine. Anybody can do that. But uh, with I, just, I see Jameis take those drops back, and he just – so heavy footed. It's just like he's plodding down a down a slow, shallow staircase. I I just I don't I don't see anything that makes James superior, far superior to to Mariota. Obviously, Tampa's made their decision. He's a Tampa guy. He's going to be going back to where he where he grew up. I don't know if that's the best decision, but it's not my decision to make. So I I. He's got where Mari, where Mariota's going to have probably you know the best I think the best case for Mariota is probably the Jets I think it's you know Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker and it, yes it is the Jets but he, at least that's that's better than Justin Hunter and Harry Douglas in Tennessee so uh, even Kendall Wright excuse me but uh, I don't know it's a debate that's going to keep on going until until well I don't know maybe probably till this time next year we'll probably still be talking about it so uh, yeah. I don't know if I answered what you were ranting about, Nick, but it's, it's uh, something that I'm uh, slowly getting very passionate about. So, uh, moving on, let's uh, let's go to the Bengals here, Nick. Um, obviously, they've been making the playoffs with Mister uh, Mister Red Rifle, um, and they're they're in a really good situation with two great running backs, Nick. But what what, what will we see from G- Mister Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill tandem this season? I I like we talked about last week, I feel like Jeremy Hill's going a little high, and so is Bernard in the mocks that we've been doing. I just, I feel like it's going to be, they're going to try to keep this thing as 50-50 as possible. Obviously, injuries are going to sway that in one 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 direction or the next. What what are your thoughts there on what this tandem's going to do this year? Well, you look at what they did last year. Hill had 220. 220- 222 carries for 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. 
plus 27 catches and 215 yards to the air, whereas Bernard had 168 carries, 680 yards and five scores, plus 43 catches and 349 yards and two touchdowns in the passing game while playing only 13 games. I, I think that sort of split continues. You know, they're both very versatile and talented running backs, and it's really nice that teams can't focus on just the run or the pass when uh, they swap backs, like some running back by committee. Uh, you remember, like, New England, whenever Shane Vereen would go in, you'd pretty much know it was going to be a pass. That's not the case with in Cincinnati because both these guys can both run and catch. Uh, you, you know, just with Bernard's smaller size comes some injury concerns, and he did miss the three games last year, so I think that Cincinnati's going to probably go without a, a 60-40 split in favor of Hill would be my guess. Yeah, with you know with Giovanni being dinged up last year, I I I definitely hear what you're saying. They wanna they want the youth and they want the durability uh, out of Hill. So uh, it's a, it's an intriguing situation. Like you said, that they're in a good situation with them both. You know, being able to run and catch. Um, yeah, I think a lot of teams would be. Very, very happy to have have this to be in this predicament. Uh, a guy you mentioned earlier, Nick, that you're high on is Tyler Eifert. Is he top five tight end material? Possibly. I, I wouldn't draft him that high yet. But you look at a look at a situation. Uh, Jermaine Gresham, the starter tight end, is gone now. I think he's going to shine. He he missed 15 games last year, but he's on track to be ready for training camp this year. He's six foot six, 250 pounds, and as a rookie in 2013, he had 39 catches for 445 yards and two scores. To put that in perspective, that's better numbers than Jay Samaro, Austin Safarian Jenkins, or Eric Ebron put up last year as rookies. Uh, you look at Gresham's numbers last year. 62 catches, 460 yards, and five scores. Uh, in my opinion, that's going to be uh, Efert's floor this year. Okay. Yeah, Gresham is obviously now gone. Uh, Efert, you, you you got the impression that this was going. They were just going to let Gresham walk whenever that contract was done. Uh, hasn't been able to stay healthy. That's been that's been. Hard, hard for people to, to believe in him, but I think we're gonna we're gonna see what what he can do this year. And uh, I think they were thinking that he's potential top five material. I I don't know, you know, I would say maybe top ten, top nine, maybe that realm. I I I think he'll be a decent PPR guy. Uh, as far as standard, I don't know how many touchdowns he he can he can do with a lot a lot of other size in this receiving core, especially in the red zone. Um, but you know that that being said, maybe he'll be the guy that's left in the single coverage on a on a you know a nickel or a dime linebacker. So, uh, moving forward, Vincent Ray was excellent last season with Burfeck out, Montez Burfeck out. But where is his IDP value this season? Is he is he going to take a back seat with Burfeck back next? Yeah, it's very tough to know his value. Like you mentioned, Perfect is coming back from the microfracture knee surgery. And uh, Vincent Ray, his biggest strength is his versatility. He can play all three linebacker positions. But the Bengals also did bring in uh, A.J. Hawk, uh, who's Green Bay Packers' all-time leading tack, to be provide some depth there at linebacker. So I personally wouldn't trust Vincent Ray right now, even if he did rack up 120 tackles last year. I, I think his best bet for playing time would be if uh, Ray Malaluga actually got hurt again. I think Vincent Ray would be the number one guy to step in there in the middle. Okay. Where, where do you think they're going to play Hawk this year? Is he not going to stick to the middle there? Uh, I, I think I heard that they were going to bring him in as more of like a weak side linebacker. So uh, him and Perfect playing the same position. 
Okay. All right. Well, yeah, like I said, Vincent Ray, a lot, a lot of tackles last year. Um, I really like Emmanuel Lamar on the other side, too. I think it's Lamar, actually. But uh, uh, just kind of a, a skinny linebacker but was able to put up, put up 91 tackles for this team last year. So they, they have some – they definitely have some depth there, a linebacker. So um, moving on, what do, you think, what do you think this team needs in the draft, Nick? You know, this team – Historically, it does absolutely nothing in free agency. So, draft is pretty big for them. What do you, what do you think? Well, they're another team that's uh, got a pretty decent front office since Mar- Marvin Lewis has been there as far as, uh, you know, not reaching too much on draft day. And so they don't have any huge holes. I think they could use some depth at cornerback, especially, uh, you know, and some depth along both lines, but cornerback especially, they're getting pretty old there. Uh, they could use a blocking tight end, but obviously they're not going to go with that in the first round. I think at 21, they just go with the best player available. Hopefully uh, you know, somebody in the secondary. Okay. Yeah, I feel like they could use maybe a, a true defensive end, you know, not one of these edge tweener guys. I think they could use a true, true defensive end to kind of help – open things up for those linebackers, you know, you look at the, the tackles too up front, Gino, uh, excuse me, yeah, Gino Atkins is not getting any younger. That's for sure. And they might want to bring in somebody there in the future, kind of a, maybe a late, a late there for the middle of the defensive line. Um, I would like to see them get another receiver. For some reason, Sanu seems to be a better replacement for AJ green than he does playing with AJ green. So maybe they just need that, you know, that slot guy to, to offset, um, Richard green out Florida state. we talked a little bit about him earlier. He's uh, just a great player that can, you know, take, take the team on his shoulders and just, you know, give him the ball and he's going to make things happen. I really like him. Um, you know, maybe even like, like Dan mentioned earlier with Lockett, maybe he's, He's a decent ad for them, too. That's uh, certainly just somebody that they could count on in the slot that could help open things up. Dorsett's another guy we've talked about a lot. They could get, you know, with the size that Sanu and Green present on, on either side, if they can get a burner to kind of, you know, to to take away somebody in the middle, that could certainly uh, help open things up for, uh, for the red rifle downfield. Um, this is a team that's, you know, they're exciting. They make the playoffs. You know, they need they need to get over that hump. But it's, I think it's it's good to be a Bengals fan when you're making the playoffs four straight years. You you need to you need to be okay with that. Obviously, you want that ultimate prize. But this is an exciting team to watch. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of decent players, a lot of decent fantasy players on this team. So uh, pay attention to what they do in the draft. Because if they get that they get that third receiver, he's certainly going to be a, a definitely a, a dynasty person to stash with uh, with receivers and AJ Green and Sanu uh already already have some miles and some injuries on them. So um uh moving on Nick, we just got questions from the forum here. Um uh Josh Hill, is it hype or hope? Uh I don't know a lot about Hill, but if someone can throw in me some insight, I would appreciate it. This guy came up and was seen minutes, you know, minutes after the Jimmy Graham deal and announced that he you know nothing but praise about him. Uh, from from organization sense, but he, from an outsider's perspective, he feels like they're trying to justify the trade to the fan base and get, that they gave up an elite tight end for someone who considers who we consider best in the game. What what do we think about Josh Hill? Negative hype or hope? 
Well, it's one of the great unknowns right now. Really, we won't know until draft day. If they uh, take another, t- if they take a tight end early in the draft, then we'll know it's all hype. But if Josh Schultz is starter, I would definitely feel confident ranking him, you know, tight end ten to fifteen. You know, with a lot of upside. You know, but when you get past the first top handful of tight ends, it's really kind of just a, it's a crapshoot. You just don't really know. So I would, I wouldn't hesitate to take him in the top ten to fifteen tight ends if he's their starter. Mm-hmm. Just uh, the the right poster does go on to say uh, I'm calling it hype. Just 14 receptions, but five touchdowns. Red flag is kind of a, just a you know a red zone guy. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's hard with the way Drew Brees spreads that ball out in the offense. I don't know if Hill's going to be the guy that can you know audible out to the slot and 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 create a mismatch. I just I just don't see that. And obviously nobody's going to replace. Jimmy Graham, you're not just going to do that overnight. So, um, another question here. Oh, more Martavius Bryant, love. Um, he seems to be an intriguing name this offseason. I'm curious. If you own him, what picks do you want for him in return? Or if you're buying him, how much would you be willing to pay? Now, I just paid A.J. Green and a couple late-round picks and got Martavius and a second-round pick as well as Trey Mason last week. Um, as far as if I'm going to sell him, uh, I, I, I don't think I'd be selling him right now. I just There's too much too much potential, too much upside. If you want to overwhelm me with a first-round pick, maybe even next year, okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I would think I would want at least, least a second, you know, and maybe another later pick if I'm going to sell him. But I, I, I'd be pretty hard for us to sell him. I don't know if he's going to give first rounder for him this year. But uh, what are your thoughts there, Dick? Uh, I'd have to be pretty deep at receiver to sell him, even for a second round pick. Uh, I like you and really high on him. You know, if somebody was going to offer me like the another young receiver like Kelvin Benjamin or Odell Beckham, Jordan Matthews, somebody like that, then yeah, I'd give him up for that. But yeah, I, it would have to be a pretty sweet deal for me to give up uh, Martavis Bryant right now. Yeah, and like we talked about earlier with Mike, um, Beckham, Benjamin, Evans, these guys are all awesome, Watkins. But they're the guy. Bartavius Bryant is is the number two, which might limit him a little bit this year in terms of PPR, but he's still going to be that red zone guy because you still have to pay so much respect to Antonio Brown on the other side. It's just such a... Oh, that's a great situation there for Pittsburgh. Okay, trade request for Roethlisberger. I nixed the trade, a straight-up trade for Phillip Rivers, but now he's asking if I can sweeten the pot. Ten-team league, I've already traded up, so I have picks 10 and pick 4 in previous deal. Um, now I have picks 4 and – now I have picks 4 and 11. Um He's willing to give me a second rounder, which would be pick 15 and Rivers in exchange for Big Ben and possibly a later pick from me. What do you think, Nick? Um, I think that's a pretty even trade, uh, especially if you're trying to build for the future. You you really like having a, the number 411 and the number 15 pick. That, that would be a real nice uh, set to have to build a team to compete, maybe not this year, but in the future. Uh, if you're trying to win this year, though, I would definitely prefer uh, Roethlisberger over Rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, we go back to Mr. Martavius. Antonio Brown 
Le'Veon Bell. These are the weapons Mr. Big Ben has. He's younger than Philip Rivers. Uh, I just, I don't, I, I know you're getting a second round pick, but I just, I don't, can't justify giving up Big Ben, especially when Rivers' future in San Diego slash LA after this year is still very much in doubt. Um, where you know he might go somewhere, you know, to t- somewhere else to Twilight. You don't know what kind of situation he's going to go into if it's a young team that doesn't have a great offensive line. I I, I just don't like the deal. I don't like giving up on Big Ben. The guy the guy gets uh, gets not a lot of respect. You know, maybe it's due to some off field issues, but he's still a consistent top you know, top 10 quarterback, he, and he has been and will be. But, but with those weapons around him, especially if they get a, a get a young tight end that can do some damage, like a Clive Walford, oh, man, this, this team could be so, so good this year, next year, and, and going forward. And you know Big Ben's going to be the quarterback. They're not going to they're – not, they're not moving away from Big Ben anytime soon. As far as Rivers, we don't know. You know, he's been – He's been in the league a little bit longer, and we just don't know where, we, where, where we're going to go on from there. So um, that's all we have for you today. Like I said, next week we will not be on, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, we will return April 14th with our Rookie Extravaganza show, and then the Brigger podcast will return April 15th as we dive into the AFC East with uh, Doug Moore of Razball and Paul Esden Jr. of TrueLoveSports.com. I want to thank Robert D. Cobb from Inscriber Magazine to come on by his Cleveland Browns and Mike Traffic for talking about uh, his Pittsburgh Steelers. DW owns Mike Traffic for talking about his Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Dan Hines for joining us too. I'm sure Dan will be joining us leading up into the draft and uh, I'm possibly after that Mike as well. So thank you for joining us. Uh, Nick, have a have a good week off next week and we'll talk to you on the 50. Sounds good, Josh. Take care. Sam Bailey didn't get his head around on the play. I think it's the reason he got the yes, play. Yes, there are penalties in the Pro Bowl. Pass <laughs> <Pressure> interference. <laughs> Defense number 24. The ball is placed at the one-yard line.